Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by no one in particular, when the job doesn't really matter and you don't really care about the income, about what's going on. That's when you need no one in particular. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. It is around the mid to late August, the dog days of summer. And Mickey, <laughs> what's generating heat in your world these days? First of all, I think, um, welcome back, everybody. I, I feel like I should always say that because it's been forever. Um, so welcome back, everyone. Uh, thrilled to be here with you, Jim. Um, but I do feel like this is one of those episodes where we should probably give like one of those parental advisory <laughs> warnings. Yes. yes, this is not appropriate for children of all ages. And that's why I've told my sons to stay down the hall. Don't don't listen to what daddy's saying. No one should listen to this at all. Like they say yeah. at the beginning of South yeah. Park, <laughs> this is terrible. No one should listen to this. So all of those warnings are out of the way. We're going to use bad language. We're going to talk about things that make you uncomfortable. Um, welcome back to TJAN's, the Jim and Mickey show. It's been quite a crazy lockdown summer, has it not, Jim? Yeah. Yes. Um, it's one of those things where ordinarily by this point in summer, we'd be out watching summer movies. We'd be arguing about the latest uh, Marvel movie. We'd be out and enjoying ourselves. And thanks to the pandemic, we're either not doing this at all or doing it under very different circumstances, walking, you know, around with masks on and being careful where we eat and socially distanced outdoor dining and, and all that stuff. So. And look, 2020 has no chill, like none whatsoever. <laughs> Every single month it's something new, whether it's murder hornets or, you know, cannibal ants. Like it really does feel, we actually did have cicadas here a couple weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I'm now just assuming someone's got revelations, just checking it off one by one. There you go. Check, check, checks the boxes. Um, what I did not realize, though, Jim, with all of this madness and craziness that was going on, that what the summer really, really needed was a song <laughs> from Cardi B and Megan the Stallion. Now, Megan the Stallion. I, I was going to say, there, there's an extra E there, right? So yes, it's not Megan the Stallion. Stallion. The yes. Stallion. The That's Stallion. like the Ohio State University. Yes, correct. Correct. And that song, of course, is WAP, W-A-P, which stands for what, Jim Garrity? Um, I'm not aware of it. I believe uh, Web Access Protocol. <laughs> I'm not sure why they chose to sing about that. It's a very... You know, my, my tech guy is always going on about that. But apparently it's very important, and uh, it's a much hotter topic than anyone thought. So, first of all, Mickey, were you shocked by the number of people who denounced this, let's face it, extremely explicit video who claimed they had watched it accidentally? <laughs> all right. I, I, let's start at the beginning on this one because, again, I feel like this is exactly what the summer needed. I had no idea I needed this kind of controversy and love in my life, but I did. Um, and I and I needed Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion and Kylie Jenner and all those involved to bring it to me. Um, I had no idea how much I needed it because, as you mentioned, not only did we have people claiming to, quote, see the video accidentally, which I, I can do like a whole separate segment on the video. <laughs> So oh, we can yeah. get to that. This is really, this is an audio visual experience. It, it is an audio visual experience. And I feel like the video is the best way to experience it. However, I say this with all honesty, I prefer the non-edited version of the song <laughs> to is, is Wet like... and Gushy. Because <laughs> Wet and Gushy, when said repeatedly, sounds way dirtier than Wet Ass Pussy. And I don't care who you ask about that. Um, some friends of mine have been discussing this back and forth because the video version, they can't use the WAP. 
because it's going to be run on television and it's going to be run for other things. So they want the video to be the clean version. So it's using wet and gushy in place of the other keywords of wet ass pussy. Now, that in and of itself may, has made for a great deal of discussion over which is actually more filthy. I've been observed, Mickey. You're, I believe, right now you're doing the hip hop version of "Well, the book was better" when a popular <laughs> film comes out. I, I really just had a different picture in my mind when I heard the lyrics. I, I, the the twerking statues were not quite what I had envisioned. And, uh... <laughs> all right, and first of all, I want to thank them for creating a cultural moment again in the middle of the summer, but they also dropped a video that was hot. There was a lot going on in that video that we <laughs> have not seen in the sense of like, we were so eager for new material, right? And they had to shoot this during um, the pandemic. So there was a lot of testing that had to be done, obviously a lot of things done on green screen. So they weren't given as much technical credit as they probably should have been, but it's caused so much controversy that I just love it. Um, now, for me, I like the song. I like the video. I enjoy it because I'm not a hypocrite. I'm huh. someone who has listened to filthy trash hip hop music since I was old enough to listen to filthy trash hip hop music. And I love it. But what I have thoroughly enjoyed is those that have decided to come out both from the left, from the right, from all over, really, to have an opinion on this song. And it's because, again, I feel like everyone is so hyper-focused on whatever happens to pop up at one moment or a time or another. But, Jim, are you stunned by the, I guess, the public backlash in all directions on this? Not necessarily, but I, for, for listeners, I assume listeners have probably at least heard of the, of the controversy. They may or may not themselves have watched the video. Um, for those who feel like they have zero familiarity of what we're talking about, a couple important, this just handed to me, in fact, as a news update, Mickey. Um, Cardi B, mm -hmm. Megan B. Stallion, and Nicki Minaj are three different people. Uh, I realize there are some people out there who might be vague on that. Yes. So, you know, so the first thing is, this is two of them doing a song about, uh, how the, the irony is that the lyrics and the, the entire tone is very much, I'm hearing, is that the song in the background, Mickey? Yes. Okay. I was just um, giving you guys a little taste in the background there. Yes. There we go. Uh, if you just just hold down the bleep button for the entirety, you'll get the. <laughs> okay. It is all braggadocio, right? It is all of them talking about how fantastic they are in bed, how they are on parallel, et cetera, et cetera. Ironically, very much the same thing that male hip hop artists and rap artists have been singing about going back since at least early 90s, late 80s. And so, look, if it's not your cup of tea, I completely understand. It is a humdinger. Yes, I did encounter it. I, but Mickey, you're just coming back to that. The observation, the number of people who say they accidentally saw it. <clears throat> it's not being aired, as far as I can tell, on television. Is I, I, right? these, and I look, these people went and looked for it. They watched it. And again, we're all grownups here. You can watch something and decide that you don't like it. But to suggest that you somehow just happen to sit through mm. the ads that run in front of it, the pre-roll. thinking, did you hit trip? <laughs> did, you, did you trip and you accidentally, your, your hands hit the keyboard and it just happened to be the URL to the YouTube video to actually see it? I'm, I'm a little skeptical that that's how that, uh, how that played out there. You still sat through the ad yeah. um, a lot of people. The, the, um, the next now, thing is just observing that like, so look, if this offends you, fine. I completely understand it. This is an extremely explicit uh, video. And if it's not your cup of tea, fine. I, I do note though, that this, you know, you can go back to everything from Madonna, justify my love to like a prayer to Elvis Presley, you know, shaking his hips. Most of the time, 
people put out extremely to live crew, right? I'm, I'm sure all of these are some of your greatest hits, some of your all-time favorites there, Mickey. Well, we're going to start with two live crew. Okay. Um, we'll start with two live crew because anyone over a certain age is familiar with two live crew. They were legitimately banned. They were one of the reasons that Tipper Gore lost her ever-loving mind. Um, and it wasn't simply because of the radio hit, Me So Horny. For those of us who went and were able to purchase, although I was not of age, yeah. um, purchase <laughs> one of those copies of that album, it was filth and it was so much fun. And honestly, Me So Horny was like the clean song on the whole thing. Um, I think my parents probably would have died a thousand deaths had they known that I had it or that I was singing every word to it as though <laughs> I had known it my entire life. Um, so yeah, I listened to that. It did not bother me. I think that probably shapes a lot of why none of what I listen to artistically bothers me anyway. Um, on the, you know, on the flip side of this, I can, I can listen to things that are obviously very high-minded and they're fine too, but this is a good and different kind of, I guess it's almost a sub-segment of the hip hop genre. Because I can remember being in college in the mm's, and there was a there was a song called Boom I Fucked Your Boyfriend. And that was one that was really popular amongst my friends and I that we would so sing. All of our, Mickey, all of our um, podcast affiliates are going to be fine with this language, right? <laughs> right? Listeners, you're we warned them at the beginning. Okay. And that is a real song title. I didn't just make that up. Um, so, and then of course, you know, there's um, my neck, my back. Ah, yes, yes, you know. You know, uh, and there's another song. You and me, called, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. There's another song Bloodhound called Gang. Lick It. Need you to lick it before you stick it. I'm just saying. Um, and then there's the magic stick which was a song that was very popular. I mean, this is really a throwback, in my opinion, to kind of the salt and pepper pushing the edge because they started with push it, but then got much edgier. Let's talk about sex. They weren't as vulgar, but they were certainly discussing the topic, right? Then you get into little Kim, who was much more vulgar. Like she used explicit language. She was talking about popping that pussy and this, that, the other. So she took it to another level. And again, I really do feel like this is an extension of something that's been going on in music, not just since I've been listening to hip hop. But I mean, you go back into the blues and jazz music of the 20s and 30s, and it it will make your toes curl. <laughs> Well, the, the other thing which I kind of, you know, where I find myself rolling my eyes is that when an artist puts out a very explicit song or video or they appear in a film, the outrage is kind of what they're going for, right? I mean, this this is part of how you generate the sales. This is part of how you generate the attention, the controversy. Um, I don't know if necessarily if something was ignored, it would necessarily go away. But I, I, I just kind of feel like every time some, uh, you know, Oh, this is crushing yeah. downloads. This is this right. is fast becoming like the the number one downloaded girl hip hop song in the world. Um, so if you don't think that they are making bank off this, you're crazy. Like well, they the are thing. making so, crazy money off this. What I'm enjoying, as far as we want to talk about the backlash now, are those people who are our age and younger. Um, I've seen it from black people. I've seen it from white people. I've seen it from all the colors of people. Um, you see people who are saying that the language is filth, that this is not a role model. This is not what we're going to kids listening to. First of all, shame on you. 
if your kid thinks that Cardi B is a role model, that's your problem. <laughs> I'm going to tell you you're a bad parent because nobody else has told you that yet. Um, I think it's important to differentiate between what is appropriate for kids and what is appropriate for adults and adults should be making those decisions i do think it's hilarious to pe- for people as you guys know um our listeners have heard me say this before that every generation thinks that they invented sex and i've added another layer to that in that it's because every previous generation denies they ever did it <laughs> raising where raising the question of where the subsequent generation came from correct um, but yeah that that you know that this is part of the um sorry, this is almost a near universal trait amongst uh teenagers and young people's this idea of oh we're going to get away with something we're going to we've discovered something naughty that our parents know nothing about actually your parents probably did all those things <laughs> your parents know all about that stuff they just want to keep it away from you uh, until it's age appropriate. And I think, like, right. Mickey, is there any dispute that this is like 18 and above? Oh, no. I mean, I'm not, I don't know about 18. I mean, maybe 16, 17. Yeah. But definitely, this is not for the young kids. Um, I guarantee you, your teenagers are already listening to it. So too, ba- too late on all of that. Like, as far as you putting them in lockdown for it, too late. That already happened. I think um, they've a- already seen it. They, they've already made and formed their own opinions on it. <laughs> let, me, let me assure you of that, just like you did back in the day whenever you snuck out to watch. What, what, what were you... I, I'm afraid to ask. Um, what was what did you consider like filthy at that time? Oh, you know what? I would go back even further. I want to throw this one out there for Darling Nikki. For those of you who remember that, it was a Prince song um, that was just absolute filthy, trashy, dirty. And I absolutely loved it, as did most Prince fans. Nikki, I was really, really sheltered. I uh, know. Shocking you. Yes, I know. <laughs> who saw that one coming? Um, I'm trying to think what, okay, so when Madonna appeared on Saturday Night Live, this would be sometime in the early 90s, and she did the parody of the Justify My Love commercial, uh, video. Mm-hmm. and I don't know if I ever saw that video until much later, until it was on the internet, I know Nightline showed it, and I remember thinking about, like, you know, it was too hot for MTV, but I, Ted Koppel, will allow you to see the video to judge for yourself, uh, right. I I was not allowed to stay up and watch Nightline that evening. Um, I'm trying to think what other, but obviously, like l- large chunks of the actual "Justify My Love" video were used for the uh, parody with Mike Myers and and Dana Carvey. I'm trying to think what other like stuff stood out as oh my goodness, I can't believe they showed that. Well, she had an entire book called Sex. Yeah. That was, that was, so was, again, was for people later. to pretend yeah. like this is very fresh and new yeah, for I, women to put their sexuality on display, um, I would take you back as far back as I can pop culturally go I guess to like Marilyn Monroe and before her you know Rita Hayworth and others that no sex has always kind of been on display that's how they vented Playboy right so the the uh as we're having this conversation Mickey it popped into my mind one of my all-time favorite performing artists would have to be Weird Al Yankovic um, who is not who known. I hate. It's oh, do you? hilarious to me. Well, I, I think it's hilarious that you love him because I hate him. But continue. Right, so very, 99 times out of 100, Weird Al has nothing critical to say about anyone who he's parroting. And he generally seems to do so out of genuine affection. The only two examples I can think of were his parody of Nirvana was all about how you can't understand anything they're saying. 
which was mm -hmm. a little meaner, shall I say, than we're used to getting from wacky, silly Weird Al. And the other one was he did one of Lady Gaga uh, to the song, uh, to, to a parody of Born This Way, entitled Perform This Way. Baby, I perform this way. And the whole idea was how she was constantly uh, reinventing her image and putting on meat dresses and things like mm -hmm. that in an ever, you know, in a desperate attempt to always stay shocking. Relevant. And, right? Yes. And at one point, he as uh, you know, it's, it's one one time we've seen him kind of cross dressing, uh, dresses like like Madonna, or has some a Madonna impersonator come out in her cone bra era, and, and then you know the the Lady Gaga quickly pushes the Madonna off the stage, uh, and it was <laughs> and it was kind of the signal of like oh. Lady Gaga is using the Madonna playbook. She just, it's, uh, you know, we, and we've, you know, those of us who've been around long enough have seen this all before. Um, well, you know who else is using that playbook? Miley Cyrus. Yeah. I have yeah. noticed that she dumps her man right before she has a new tour coming. <laughs> and she has recently, you know, obviously her, her marriage fell apart to whichever one she was married to with the Helmsworths. And then she was dating some random person who looked like her brother for like a year. And they just broke up. And now, of course, she just dropped some new music and wants to go on tour. So I get the feeling she's yeah. not the kind of girl that wants to have a boyfriend when right. she's on tour. So like you know, for certain performers, particularly female performers, being associated with a sexually charged controversy is part of the marketing plan. It's mm -hmm. part. So it's it's part of who they are. It's part of their identity. They're going to appear on the cover of a magazine wearing almost nothing, et cetera, et cetera. And that's once you see it, it feels like you see the strings. It's like you see the code in the matrix, right? You you just get less. I I and maybe this is just me getting older. Um, this this sense of getting less fired up about it because this is what they do. This you know, and I kind of feel like at that point, in, it's to your point, Mickey. If, you're, if your children or your young people really want to grow up to be a celebrity, there's your first problem. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, like, you know, you know you're, I, there was some, I, the one time I also got into some, I guess it was when Caitlyn Jenner was on the cover of Vanity Fair, and there was some Christian right pastor who went on this furious tirade and said, when this sort of thing is on the cover of Vanity Fair, you can see just how far we've gone to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> like, do you remember Pregnant Demi Moore? I was going to say, this is Vanity Fair we're talking about. Well, like, um... I mean, every cover, at least once a year, if not twice a year, is some sort of celebrity photo shoot that is meant to be shocking, that is meant to be explicit. That is meant to, you know, well, because it's meant to sell... Whether right? it be, it's, 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 it, it, whether it's to sell copies or to yeah. sound downloads or streams, whatever. And so my point was like, look, you, you know, love Caitlyn Jenner, hate Caitlyn, Caitlyn Jenner. When has the cover of Vanity Fair ever been any Christian's measuring stick right. of what is good <laughs> and what is healthy and what is morally acceptable? Right? I mean, it's how I am not your moral compass, Jim Garrity. Well, it was, and so I just was like, like, why, why would we use that? Like, you know. You can, the measure, there are a lot, you know, not to get political and I'll just keep this real brief. There are a lot of measuring sticks we could use for whether we have a healthy society. I well, don't yes, think but I think that looking at art over time, all that changes is the beat. <laughs> um, legitimately, it, it's just a, a, a variation, a progression, things that were, you know, super risque in 1930 and being said out loud and putting being put into music people had the same reaction what i have enjoyed probably more than most things are all of the memes and parodies that have come out of this video including of course the now famous ben shapiro reading <laughs> of the lyrics um 
And it, let's it, emphasize, it he only read the lyrics. He did not reenact any of the dance moves. No, or, he only read the lyrics, but that in of itself was hilarious to me. Um, I don't listen to his show, so I wasn't really familiar with his voice. And then his voice and the beat and the whole bit, was it was great. I, I looked and laughed a lot. Um, and then I've been telling you a little bit about some of my friends um, who, who are working on a show and a podcast called the Habibi Power Hour. And on that this week, Siraj, one of the hosts, um, Hasibi, he actually did in a Pakistani voice the reading of the lyrics. And I've got to tell you, these parodies are hysterical. And there was some controversy over Kylie Jenner being in it because she was the only non-woman of color in the video. And so some people were a little offended by that. That's what they chose to be offended by. As I said, there were people offended by all different kinds of things. This was one. And so I suddenly saw someone had put out and photoshopped Viola Davis's head and body. Oh no. Oh, into the Kylie Jenner era. And again, a lot of this is done via green screen. So it just opens itself up for a lot of memeing and the internet's a mean place. Um, so, and I'm a mean kid sometimes and it, I have really, like I said, I didn't realize how much I needed this little break in all of the crazy, boring monotony of work and pandemic and death and whatever that I needed a little wet ass pussy in my life. But apparently that is exactly what 2020 it, needed. Do you know what it, it did feel like a very, look in a year where it, it would be the sort of the kind of the way this year has gone, it would be the sort of thing where like watching this video would like burn your retinas or something like that, right? It would be something <laughs> so the this in some ways this is a very old fashioned scandal. Yes. Pop star makes explicit video, you know. Yeah, and again, very throwback. Even in the, I mean, the lyrics are very, very explicit. The outfits are most definitely lingerie. However, um, it's nothing you haven't seen before. It's nothing you haven't heard before. Just put together in a different order with a new beat. Yeah, and you know, my my guess is, uh, by the way, my prediction, Mickey, is at some point between now and the end of the year, uh, I, I did my joke earlier about how uh, Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, and Nicki Minaj are three different people. My guess is there's some segment out there that does not know that. Uh, Nicki Minaj will do her own attempt to outdo this at some point between now and December. They well, pre- Nick, Nicki Minaj is a married woman, and I believe she's pregnant right now. Yeah. So, and isn't that lovely? Good. Well, you know what a lo- you know good luck. To yeah. So I don't Minaj I don't family. think she's going to be putting out anything between now and the end of the year to top this. However, oh, you know, first, you just I'm, never don't, know. Don't this is a good chance the conception was filmed anyway. Um, the, you never know what's going to happen. I happen to be fans of Cardi B and Meg. Um, Megan the Stallion is her official name, um, but a lot of fans call her Meg for whatever reason. And so I, 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 I'm a big fan of both. I'm a big fan of both the unedited and the edited version. I think the video is hilarious. I enjoyed it, but I'm a grown up. Yeah. And so that's all I really have to say as far as like whether or not you enjoy it, whether or not you like it, they have the right to make it. They have the right to make the bank off of it. Um, a little more hip hop news real quick here before we move on to the next segment. Um, Jason William Mizell, better known as Jam Master J, he was killed in 2002. Uh, he was a big part of Run DMC. And uh, he was the DJ for Rum DMC back in the 80s, um, for those of you who are familiar with that. However, uh, Jam Master J was killed in 2002. And just this week, actually, two people were finally indicted and arrested 
And so that's big news for everybody. I'm hoping that, yeah, these were suspects that had kind of been names had been floating around for a long time, but they literally just arrested them this week. So um, this is a crime that is old enough to vote. Yeah, yeah, 18 18 18 years, years, 18 years unsolved. So great to have one of these closed, or at least moving in that direction. News you can use because I would not hear this from any other uh, any other place, Mickey. Um, All right, so if if somebody's like, oh my god, goodness, the the WAP video is the scariest thing I could possibly imagine on my screen this year. Um, by any chance, Mickey, have you seen anything scarier on your screen in the last 24 hours? Oh, see, Thankfully, now you're just, fiction, not, not nonfiction. Yes, see, now you're just making me lead right into my next thing, which is, of course, I, I have been waiting for Lovecraft Country, the new show on HBO, to start, and it premiered this week. So, super exciting news. And finally got to see it. Now, a little bit about Lovecraft Country that I did not know until I, I had started seeing the promos. Um, when I was watching the I'll Be Gone in the Dark HBO series, which, of course, I'm sure you guys realize I was addicted to, about Michelle McNamara. Uh, she's Patton Oswald's wife. She's the one who wrote the book and actually named the Golden State Killer the Golden State Killer. She um, was the one who put all the two together, kind of refocused the energies. And um, back when they just knew that he was, at that time, the East Area Rapist, and the original Night Stalker. So anyway, they they did a fantastic HBO short series on that. And during that, they were constantly running these promos for something called Lovecraft Country. And it immediately caught my attention just because it had that kind of true bloody vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I couldn't really give you any more explanation than that. So I went and did a little bit of research because I decided to go ahead and watch it last night. And um, it's fantastic. But it's definitely very, very different. And it's based on a novel. It's based on a novel called Lovecraft Country um, by Matt Ruff. And what this is, it's a, apparently it came out in 2016, and it's a fantasy horror novel. And what's interesting about it is it's written during the era of Jim Crow. Our protagonist, Atticus, lives during the era of Jim Crow. But it mixes in this crazy horror science fiction with that story. I, I was going to say, I've seen the trailers. It, it aired last, uh, just a, a night or two ago on HBO. I have not had a chance to catch it yet. It looked like one part uh, William Faulkner novel and one part classic horror sci-fi. And kind of the uh, what maybe makes H.P. Lovecraft stand out a bit from the rest of the scary monster in the woods style uh, horror stuff is that Lovecraft, who, by the way, also was a really like bad racist. Yes, they, they mentioned yeah. that at the beginning of the yeah. show. But yeah, but the idea is that Lovecraft's like monsters are they're very much myth and legend. And the idea is that like even on even knowing about them is the sort of thing that could drive someone crazy. Right. Um, the, the scary thought that humanity is this very insignificant, uh, uh, you know, almost, you know, created accident of the universe and that the world is really run by these giant, you know, squid type, you know, squid like creatures, um, that are, are, you know, predate man, predate humanity and do not care in the slightest for us. They're not out to get us. We're, we're just like, you know, bugs on the windshield to them. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of, I'd, I'd say less than Lovecraft himself. I think the concept of Lovecraft had been explored a great deal by lots of other filmmakers and other novelists and kind of this, it's very much an atmospheric horror 
rather oh, than, yes. you know, Booga Booga the monster is going to get you. Most definitely. Um, and the way that it is filmed is that it's filmed much more as the telling of a biographical story of a family during the Jim Crow law eras. And, and again, this family's from Chicago, but they travel throughout the country. One of the characters is creating basically a fictionalized version of the Green Book, which was mm -hmm. the safe travel book for black people um, during Jim Crow. And that's part of kind of how they get out on the road and whatnot with that. Um, there's definitely some explanations there, but it's shot from the storytelling aspect of that kind of story. So it doesn't have that larger than life feel until it does. And when that switch make like comes in the show specifically, it takes your breath away. It mm. was very well done. Well, I was going to say one of the things that I, I, I found intriguing about this. So there's, you know, on this podcast numerous times, I've talked about how Twin Peaks is one of my all time favorites. And, you know, without getting too much into spoilers, Twin Peaks doesn't really throw anything all that supernatural at the viewer until episode seven or eight or nine. Honey, that that thing is 30 years old. You're not spoiling anything from anybody. Okay. You can say whatever. You there you like. So and so some people but when this happens, some people are like, wait, what? Wait, well, we thought we were getting a murder mystery. Why is there? Why are people having visions? Why are there spirits and stuff like that? And what happened was the characters on screen were as confused as the audience was because it wasn't making sense. It wasn't supposed to happen like this. How many times have we gone to a movie? Let's say it's called Night of the Vampire. And somewhere around the first third of the movie, they discover a body that's been drained of blood. And some character says, wait, that can't happen. Vampires aren't real. Right. And we in the audience are like, well, yes, we know they're not real. But in your world, they are real because we're watching a movie called Night of the Vampire. And there was a vampire in the poster and a vampire in the trail, you know, like catch up. Right. <laughs> you know, is, You're not this, paying attention to what's going on in your universe. Right. And so you kind of have to wait for the, the characters on screen to catch up with the reality that you as the audience know. So the idea of taking something and saying, you know, there are these horrible monsters that exist and putting it in a setting where the Ku Klux Klan is there or where there's, mm -hmm. you know, at any given moment, um, some guy with hate in his heart could come around a corner and want to, you know, do serious harm to you. You know, it works very much on the level of metaphor. It works very much on the idea of, well, these characters are already used to something dangerous potentially being around every corner. Yes. And right? you've got Jordan Peele involved and J.J. Abrams. Mm -hmm. So a very nice. This, this is like their two worldviews smashing right. each other, right? You know. Right. And, and of course, Jordan Peele loves horror. Um, and so I think you can feel because he's a fan of kind of that old school horror um, and you feel that in his own in his movies and his development. It, it's, again, kind of that creature from the Black Lagoon feel um, where you actually have the blob, you have creatures, you have monsters. The horror story isn't some guy chasing you through the woods with a knife. Right. Mm hmm. The horror story is that there's a monster or an alien or what have you coming after you. And I think that there's a, it's just a really interesting tie in. Like, like I said, it's not, um, it's not something that I would generally find myself probably drawn to because I don't like science fiction, but I do like horror. And so this is a really interesting twist for me. And I, I, I'll be curious to see if you watch it and if you like it and what you think about it. So what my one, the one thing that had me vaguely hesitant, Mickey, and maybe it just reflects 
the the current cultural atmosphere and mood that we're in or something. At any point, did it get preachy? I did not feel that at okay. all. Um, because, again, these characters are pretty well established within the book. Um, and because of what the their characters are going through, it feels very true to the time, period. Okay. I, I was going to say, I, I realized... Yeah, again. I didn't feel like the... the you know, I've I've definitely watched things where, and I'm thinking of most currently that Spike Lee movie about the four Vietnam veterans, mm. where there were lines in it that it was should have been a period piece that those kind of phrases didn't exist yet. Yeah, and it's um, saying like, you know Black Lives Matter, working that into a conversation in 1974 seems weird. Um, things of that nature, you know, phrases that you hear now that don't necessarily, you know, and again, have kind of yeah. worked their way into, um, society through conversations or whatever. No, there's none of that. Not that I've noticed thus far, but again, yeah, you want to have a bunch of characters in 1973, stop what they're doing, all turn towards the camera and say, say that Joe Biden fellow seems like an inspiring young Senator. Fine. Right. Get it out of the way. <laughs> let her, let them get on with the story. Don't, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. We, we know you've got very strong feelings about what's going on in Trump's America, Hollywood. We get it. So, yes. Yeah. No, I did not get that vibe um, because, again, the the time period in which it's set is a very bad period for black people. And there's not a whole lot you have to add to that to make it bad. Good. Uh, yeah, again, so, yeah, it, it's it's a real life horror to I guess there's some people who might look at that and say, oh, it's more this- like a drama. Mm-hmm. Like, the story of the family is very drama-driven. So you've got that going on. Because he's looking for his history. He's trying to find out more about his mom. At this point in the storyline, his father is missing. So he's gone to try to find his father. Like, And ultimately, it feels like there's going to be more ties to his mother's family that seem very cryptic at this point. Mm. But you get the impression that there might be some, you know, creepy supernatural attachment there on that side of the family. Yeah, you know, obviously, if there's some sort of terrible monsters that are beyond that are manipulating humanity or something, people be quiet about it. So, yeah, there's, you know. Yeah. Sort of so, thing. like I said, there's there's definitely I don't know. It's definitely an interesting mix. All right. Um, we should probably take care of one. We're obviously we have a very Netflix heavy edition of our show, folks, because that's kind of the only it's not <laughs> like you're going out to the movies these days. Um, before we get to that, though, we probably should get to the other thing we're hoping to see on our television screens. Uh, in the not too distant future, Mickey, do you think we're getting a football season, a professional football season? Oh God! Um, every night I pray to the little baby Jesus that we will have football this year. And every night I feel less and less confident about all of it. Um, but I will tell you this: I, I I'm I'm disappointed with what I'm seeing with the college athletes. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm disappointed because I think that the college athletes are really looking forward to getting back to their sports, getting back to their routine, getting back to things that are important in their lives. And I'm not just talking about those that are going to go pro. I'm talking about the people that have trained to do this their entire lives. And it's a huge part of who they are and what they do. Um, And we're asking students to go back to colleges to stay in dorm rooms, but to take virtual classes and not be allowed to participate in sports. So it seems to me like a huge money grab by the institutions. And I don't feel like we're being realistic if we're saying we're gonna invite, I mean, this could be the best college experience ever, I guess, because basically you go to college, they make you have a room there, they don't have classes, everything is virtual. So I assume that college kids will be partying all the time. That's what I would be doing. I, I think it's it's very likely for the ones that are doing 
Um, they're going to have them back on campus. There are a couple of colleges that are not doing that. Um, I, I, my attitude toward, I, I have a different attitude towards the pros and towards the college. Um, and already we've seen. I think oh, like yeah. Oh, totally. We, yeah, that, yeah, definitely different attitude. But again, I feel like that. I feel like everything should be done on an individual basis, including yeah. with the fact that like these individual schools, the individual conferences, certainly the individual states. Um, but most definitely, if you're going to take care of your student athletes, which they know that they would put in place to do, mm-hmm. I, I'm just disappointed they didn't have a better plan, didn't yeah, have something it, else put in place. It's frustrating. Considering how this has been front and center in our lives, it's about mid-March. It's really tough to believe they couldn't come up with a uh, they, they just seem to be grasping. Uh, Well, the only thing I can think is that they really didn't think that this lockdown nonsense was going to continue this long. And college sports, for the most part, are played outside, right, at this time of year. Um, So I had thought they might have, you know, less in capacity, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But to actually disallow them from playing, I didn't see that coming right away. Should have, should have known. Um, Fun is canceled until further notice. Um, <clears throat> however, I know when that date will change and I will not share it with you at this time. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think many however, people have suspicions. Yeah. I do have my suspicions when the fun will be allowed again. Um, however, I am pleased to see that the NFL seems to be moving forward with a plan to keep football <laughs> coming for us this fall. Because honestly, I... I I don't know what's going to happen. Like, if they say that they're not going to play football in the NFL for some reason, like, I'm just going to go lock myself in my bedroom and cry for a while. I need you to understand it's going to be a bad day because I'm very, very much looking forward to it. Ben is back. He looks fantastic. He's lost weight. He's fit. He's, they, you know, they're in pads for the first time this week. It's just so exciting to see my Steelers back, to see your Jets fighting again. I mean, really, it's just, it's, it's, it warms the heart. I was going to say, Mickey, I have, here's the thing. I, I would feel reasonably confident saying the season is going to start. I'm not so confident saying the season's going to finish. Uh, although I think as of this conversation, it's a very good sign that uh, uh, hockey has continued with no real incident. The NBA continues to play in the bubble down in Orlando. And, you know, my baseball had some early uh, bumps in the road with the I called them the Florida Marlins earlier this week. Technically, the Miami Marlins. I'm sorry. They're the Florida Marlins. Um, the Marlins and the Cardinals, but otherwise, they're, they're continuing to get in baseball games. If those sports can do it with that kind of a schedule, you'd like to think that the NFL could have that many, you know, could, could manage to get their, their games to play. Unfortunately, they've got much bigger teams, much bigger rosters, and... You know, as of now, the plan is to travel from place to place. They don't have a place to be much tougher to do a bubble system for the league the way that. So obviously, I, my attitude towards all all these sports this year has been. I hear you, Debbie Downer. Well, no, I was just say treat every game like like it's a gift, you know. <laughs> yeah, truth. Although, to be fair, I have str- like I, I'm just going to put this out there. And again, you know, we don't get political on this show, but I I struggled to watch the NBA in the inside the bubble. Um, and a lot of it just had to do with their attitudes and behaviors, um, having to do with things off the court that were some of the things that were painted directly on the court. Um, but it was just, I don't know. I just found like it was really preachy this season in their little bubble. Um, oh, I'm glad yeah. that they were able to get a season off, you know, and get some play in. I think that's great. Um, hockey only lasted for me like three nights as a Pens fan. So, yay. It was like, hockey's back. Hockey sucks again. Because um, they were knocked out so quickly. <laughs> 
So, and, and I am not a huge fan of watching baseball on TV, but I have found that I will watch baseball on TV because I am so desperate for live activity. I even watched some NASCAR races a couple weeks ago whenever there was nothing else on. Um, I, I've watched golf, but that's not really that unusual in this house um, because Mr. Bias does like the golf to watching and sleeping is what I think, but whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I have made an, I, I've definitely, I'm watching as much sports as I can consume, but what I really want is the football. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say. Like, yeah, I'm, you know, it was pleasant to see all these sports returning. I think my interest might increase a bit more. Because the irony was the NBA coming back for this relatively meaningless, um, you know, short segment of games before they started up the playoffs again. And my guess is that once they get to the finals and, you know, something that's much more like a, um, you know, the actual, without actual stakes to it uh, could be pretty exciting. Um, baseball, same thing. You know, they're, they're now back to midseason form of not really needing to pay attention to it. Uh, and you know, football will be the the, the big deal there. Um, are you oh, finding? You sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, are you finding yourself looking for more football news? Yes and no. I mean, I, I've I am one of the all time uh, complainers about preseason football, about how you wait all off season, the Hall of Fame game comes along, like, yes, football, and then you realize, oh, preseason football, where you know a bunch of no names are stumbling and fumbling and penalties and, and all that kind of stuff you're um, so un-american but whatever continue I don't know. Oh, okay so do, do you find yourself you know gripping the the, the armchair uh armrest with excitement no uh, but it's a good reason to get together and drink and watch football again football? back to yes if wow. need be and right now that tells you how desperate i am continue i, I was gonna say like yo I, i'm that excited for about you know that that first quarter or so, and then by about you know by by about half. Oh time, yeah, by the oh. by the second and you know by the second quarter, and usually by that's like if there's four games, game one you watch the first quarter, two yeah. to three, three is third when your starters play, down. and four nobody plays again. I I don't think I've watched the fourth game of preseason in years, and I've never you know. Also, by the way, like NFL ticket shows you everything, mm-hmm. uh, except preseason games. That for some right. reason you know. But anyway, um. So, Which is a know, whole nother topic, by the way, should be discussed right now, is that DirecTV has a monopoly that needs to be shattered because at this point, they are forcing people to either have DirecTV or not have their football. So and that's not fair. Allow me to share what I think. I have heard, just recently heard, Mickey, that if you subscribe to CBS All Access, whatever they're doing for the, the, the Star Trek and Picard stuff. Yeah. If you do that, you get all the games that are broadcast on CBS, which if your team is in the AFC, that might actually be, you know, that might actually. That's a lot for us. Yeah. Yeah. So I may end up subscribing to CBS because otherwise, you know, most of the time I go to a uh, restaurant or a bar with my sons and we Mm -hmm. have a great time. It's, you know, it's not a rowdy place or anything like that. But for obvious reasons, I'm not eager to spend two to three hours in a, you know, bar or restaurant indoors, uh, you know. 16 Sundays or, or, you know, 15 Sundays in, in the fall and mm-hmm. the NFL you'd think would recognize, Oh, you know, this is a very different viewing environment. People are very worried, you know, very, this is different from a normal set of circumstances. If you want people to watch. And, and of course, you know, this, this is a country full of transplants. 
I'm probably I probably see more of it around here because I live in Washington and Washington is a city of transplants. Mm-hmm. No one will admit to being a Redskins fan. I'm sorry, what the team formerly known as the Redskins, the Washington football team. The Washington football team. Sorry, you Liz. know it's funny because we've been calling it the Washington Football Club in my circle of friends for years. So the fact that they're the Washington <laughs> Football Team just seems to fit perfectly. You were ahead of the curve. You know, we, we need were? Mickey is we need some acronym for what to, for the team that involves an A and a P. <laughs> into WAP. Uh, the Washington Anti Patriots. There you go. Uh, there you go. There you go. Um, listeners, ignore that phone the way I am. Um, so uh, moving on, we'll, we'll jump to more Netflix stuff in a second. But one other thing, since you, we mentioned a bit about you know uh, the, the political context of uh, Lovecraft Country and uh, even WAP and and uh, uh, the starting of the, the oh everything's political. Yeah. Everything's so, political and everything's stupid. So yeah, we just get that was, out of the way. Yeah. You, you'd sent me that it was Sarah Cooper. Was was she guest hoping, hosting for Colbert or just appearing on Colbert? I'm, I, honestly, I, I'm not sure. I yeah. feel like such a fail on this because I'm not sure. I think that she was guest hosting now. Okay. So Sarah Cooper, for those who don't recognize the name, um, was the woman who was making videos that got enormous amount of shares and attention and plays of her lip syncing to one of the nuttier Trump's comments in an interview or press conference or such. And she kind of, you know, uh, makes funny faces as she does it. And so it's sort of like lip All on TikTok. Press conference. Yeah, it was a TikTok. Thank you. I mean, the Chinese spyware. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it didn't do a lot for me. Fine. Whatever. Um, I saw, I think it was over in the Spectator U.S., Christopher Buckley, who I consider probably one of the great satirical minds maybe ever. Uh, certainly of his generation, where he raved about her and the late night host and said that we are in a golden age for political satire. And, you know, that that flabbergasted me in part because I I don't feel like Colbert and uh, Jimmy Kimmel and the rest are really all that uh, all that to write home about. And Sarah Cooper, I think what's kind of fascinating is she created a form of visual comedy that involves no writing. (laughs) <laughs> involved. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it is simply her lip syncing Trump's statements. I think it might have been somebody else was it, it's, it's who, who had written for uh, and kind of observed that like somebody. I mean, this is probably something that plagues Alec Baldwin as, as well. Attempting to impersonate Trump is never going to be more absurd than the fact that Donald Trump is president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Right? That, that you, you. You're trying to. <laughs> How can you out absurd the absurd? Like, or it's the like Babylon the Babylon Bee being basically prophetic at this point. Yeah, and so, um, and so the, I, I wouldn't put myself in a you know Sarah Cooper hater category. I'm sure she's uh, funny and talented, but the idea that this blew up and turned her into, I guess, the next big political comedy rising star, and all she has to do is is lip sync and listen to a Trump press conference and know what his pauses are, and she makes this kind of exaggerated. Uh, face as she does it, but it's it's not really an impersonation of him. It's not really. A, is it funny to you? Is it funny to you? Not that funny, but I, I don't. But like, does it make you giggle, mm-hmm. or does it make you clap laughter? Clafter. Okay. Because that's a word that you, yeah. I think, told me about, right? 
Clapter or Laugh Flaws are the two versions I've heard of that. But yeah, Explain that to our audience because I think it's great, just the concept. Sure. Um, you get a lot of this, uh, some people would say, in late night television. And by the way, I think it exists on the right as well, although the right doesn't have <coughs> nearly you know, the platforms of you know, the late nights and tonight shows and stuff like that. Or anywhere. It's when you, somebody makes a joke about somebody, a, a political figure you dislike, and the political figure you dislike is the butt of the joke. And so even if it wasn't that funny, you know, you kind of hear, ha, 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 yeah, you know, it, the, it's, you know, the, the obligatory applause that comes after a joke that is targeted at just the right person. And um, Samantha B might be the, uh, the, the quintessential example of that over and Does she still even have the TNT show? I don't know. She's no. not funny. Most chicks aren't. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm so, sorry. You're but, like, applause for being politically co- correct, both li- literally, politically correct and politically right. The, the only funny correct. female comic that I can legitimately say I watched their stand-up and laugh from beginning to end was Ellen DeGeneres. And now they've canceled her. Yeah. So apparently being this, you know, allegedly a monster behind the scenes and stuff. Although, well, I, she's I, I, funny. I, yeah. Unlike these other people. Um, I, like, like, I have a problem because I, the most charming and delightful guy behind the scenes. I don't know if he was always that nice to uh, <coughs> all the state troopers that had to pull him over. Uh, <laughs> he was speaking home. Well, again, I I would only say that like one, we know that comics are generally the most troubled individuals on the planet. Um, they work out their shit through their comedy. That's great. And sometimes that benefits us because it's funny, and sometimes it's just not funny. Um, sometimes there are comedian. It's like those movies we've discussed this where uh, they call a movie a comedy. But it's not. It's really a drama. And you're mm. watching like, who thought this was funny? And then you realize they only think it's funny because it's something that they agree with, like the class warfare and the whatever's going on with it. Um, and in this case, I am troubled by it because I like things that are actually funny. I don't like, as I've told the listeners a million times, I don't need a lesson with my comedy. I don't need to learn anything. Um, I, if I want to sit down and watch somebody, I would like to be entertained. And so I feel like you can get away with anything if you're funny. Like a perfect example of Dave Chappelle, obviously. He can literally say anything, do anything. Just hearing his voice is funny. Dave Chappelle makes me laugh thinking about Dave Chappelle. Pretty accurate. And there's, I think like there's almost a self-aware status to his jokes now. Where, you know, he because he, he famously had his departure from, was it Comedy Central that had his show? Yes. Yeah. He just walked away. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, this this recognition that he had done much, that he was no longer uh, needed to be part of this system of Hollywood. That he had made his money, that he was, achieved his level of success, and he would no longer be dependent upon anyone else. And, you know, whatever else you think of it, he had decided he was going to be his own guy. They have a and, term for that. Hmm? It's fuck you money. There you go. Once again, dear listeners, and to any of our podcast uh, distributors. I think since yeah. we were under the warning, it was fair to say that again. Yeah. Very warned. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, the Dave Chappelle, the, like the, oh, I can't believe what he's going to say is, you know, is is part of, uh, uh, part of the expectations. I'm trying to think, what was it? Um, but he had saved the country yet again in our absence um, while we were on, you know, our normal crazy life-like breaks. I think we talked about his coming back, saving the country, making us laugh again with his special the last time we were together. And now, after Kanye had such a very public meltdown, Dave Chappelle jumped in his private plane and flew out to Wyoming and saved Kanye. 
that's just the kind of guy he is. <laughs> exactly. He's saving the world. Literally mm-hmm. by himself, Dave Chappelle is holding up 2020 like Atlas. Yeah. Well, let me. Dave Chappelle's comment strongly suggests that he sees, as much as he has thrived and become a very wealthy man, and it seems like a relatively happy, you know, well put together kind of guy, um, that he has. Uh, that the, the part of you know he, he kind of he did not see, doesn't seem like a guy who came away enamored with uh hollywood and, and no know, no that he came away with kind of cynical believing that it was a system designed to um uh, you know kind of they, they chew you up and spit you out meanwhile i'm convinced that like dave Chappelle and i could be secretly best friends oh i i, I figured you already were secretly mm-hmm. you know. yeah secretly we are I, you just don't know about it <laughs> yeah. Um, but so this kind of a, so to a certain extent, you know, is, is Dave Chappelle a conservative? I, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, but no. a bunch of conservatives enjoy him in part because he is not afraid to kind of tweak Hollywood and kind of tweak the conventional wisdom. But he says um, terrible things about and, and again, he's one of those people who if you if you can make it funny, it doesn't matter what you say. And he has proven that time and time again on topic after topic after topic where he has said things that have outraged. Um, specifically, I think we talked about last time, the trans community, how much they hate him and you know mm-hmm. different parts of the community hate him. But there are things that he has said about Republicans. There's things that he said about Democrats. Like, But he says things that are funny. So if they're funny, even if they're against your people, you can laugh. And I think it's important to have a sense of humor. And, you know, maybe that's what's truly missing, right? Yeah. No, the yeah, audience it, is what the problem is, as Dave Chappelle said earlier. I mean, ultimately, you know, the, the people who are really ardent about politics, the people who really believe that every little political fight that they're in is a life and death, uh, you, know, uh, d- you know, struggle. You know, somebody laughing about that all of a sudden means that they're not, that it's not really a life and death struggle. All of a sudden, it means that they're kind of ridiculous and that, and that these things are not the endless, you know, crusade that need to be fought day after day. Anyway, we've gotten well, way down the, the dark path of, of grim and gritty. So, Mickey, <laughs> I'm thinking of all the other things we've seen. Oh, oh uh, I, I wanted to ask you because something I feel like this is something that our listeners will enjoy. You have been watching a little teen mystery show. Yeah. Kind of OC light, if I'm not wrong, on Netflix. Yes. So this is spurred in part by looking for a show that I could watch with my uh, older son. Um, and so he's kind of getting to that age of which you could, you know, the right age for young adult shows. So the show is called Outer Banks. Um, and it uh, came along in early summer. Uh, it is it, it is set in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. It is filmed outside, uh, I believe, Charleston, South Carolina. So it reminds me of the Hilton Head area. Um, I could summarize it as it, it, the perfect kind of summer kind of show. It's beautifully shot. It's, it's you know, the, whatever the uh, Charleston Chamber of Commerce is paying them to promote the area for tourism, they're not paying them enough. It you know, makes the whole area look gorgeous. It's about a quartet of teenagers uh, who are from, quote unquote, the wrong side of the, ta- the tracks of a island community that is uh, a resort area where there's obviously would say the way they put it is the kind of place where you either have two houses or two jobs and these quartet of kids who are on the wrong side and you of the can tra- see that developing oh. like in your head go ahead oh yeah you know and uh at one time after a hurricane comes by and you know does minor damage to the island not terrible they come across a boat uh and they find out oh, i should point out that one of the the protagonist 
His uh, father has disappeared at sea eight months ago. He is technically in the care of his uncle, but his uncle left town to find work. And so he's more or less living on his own. So there's a little bit of this teenage. Um, it's summer. You're out of school. Uh, no parents. No parents. Right. You're, you know, you're unsupervised. You're about you know, 16, 17, 18. And you're just, you know, living in paradise, even if the power went out because there was this terrible hurricane. Anyway, they discover a uh, boat and the boat has uh, evidence that leads to the idea that possibly the father found a shipwreck before he disappeared. And that maybe the ship, maybe the father really is lost at sea. Maybe the father found the shipwreck and is trying to figure out some way to salvage the oodles and oodles of gold from the shipwreck. Um, so there's kind of that element to it. There's definitely this idea the town has, if not corrupt police, then certainly police you might not trust. Uh, more waspy, stuck-up, snobby, rich guys than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> and for better or for worse, my my older son has, you know, at least once per episode, we've watched three episodes so far, at least once per episode, we marvel that these are the dumbest teenagers the world has ever seen. And <laughs> yes, they're teenagers. Yes, there can be understandably a certain level of naivete. These can, protagonists can be counted on to do the dumbest possible thing in any given circumstance. They will always run up, up to a higher point. They will always run... Uh, directly into the danger, they will always try to hide in the worst possible place. Um, so it's it's enjoyable so far, um, and it's it's one of those shows where I'm comfortable watching it with him. It's you know um, a little bit of you know teenage drinking, light drugs so far, um, that sort of thing. But uh, you know, very, you're kind of the classic kind of summer show you want. I, I was going to say it kind of has that summer vibe to it, and certainly anyone who's ever spent any time in the Outer Banks can envision and picture exactly the landscape yeah. and what you're talking about. If, if you're um, yearning for a beach vacation, I don't know whether this will be an acceptable substitute or it'll make you just want to go on a beach vacation even more. So. Well, I'm going to jump right in here. I just I, That sounds like a really interesting kind of, again, summer easy to watch, get into it storyline. I could not help but think that it immediately triggered my current problem, which is wonderlust, the desire to travel. Mm. Um, I don't know if you have seen the hotels.com commercial. If not, I would recommend yeah. do it. Well, I've tweeted it, it out to people. Um, it's called Places. And it talks about places, places that are not your house. Mm. <laughs> places that you've not been before. <laughs> You remember places. And I that is me right now. So you were talking about envisioning and watching the landscape and whatnot. I find myself watching the HGTV shows that are like Caribbean life, mm. Mexican life, um, beachfront bargain hunt, like anything that will put a tropical picture near my body. I'm watching it. And then I want to go to these places. I'm like, I need to go to this place. I need to go to that place because they are one very placey as the ad said, um, place is not my house, air I haven't breathed before. But you see these beautiful tropical turquoise waters and white sand beaches and huts. And Jim, I'm ready to go. So I'm just wondering how many of our listeners are like me and that I don't even know how I end up doing it, but I end up watching like just binge watching these shows that are on HGTV. I am sure somewhere in our uh, archives, Mickey, our listeners can find shows where you and I have made fun of House Hunters mm -hmm. and House Hunters International, mm -hmm. which always begin with, you know, I'm a professional dog walker and my husband sells artisan driftwood sculptures and we're looking for something in the low 900,000s. Yes. 
And, you know, they go to, you know, uh, Amsterdam and they want a four bedroom, three bathroom, massive palatial place. And the real estate agent tries to explain to them, you can't get that in the middle of, you know, downtown Amsterdam. Oh, Mr. Bice and I find ourselves talking back um, because he'll come in and join me again watching this Wonderless TV is there's nothing else to call it. And and you watch these people and they go into, you know, this is your Caribbean island house, right? (laughs) So the idea is to be as close, in my opinion, you want to be as close to the water as you can get on your budget. Everything else is negotiable. And these people walk into places that don't even have refrigeration. And they're like, well, the kitchen's a little small. (laughs) And I see it only has one burner. I was really hoping for a larger kitchen with granite countertop. I'm like, do you know where you are? Look around. Um, and, and I find myself getting very frustrated with them because they, they want to walk in and see something that's 100% Americanized mm-hmm. and move in ready on budget on the waterfront. I was going to say that the one thing that's going well for the you know ones that are about moving to Mexico or moving to somewhere to the tropical islands is, um, look, when you have if, if you make a decent amount of money in the United States, your dollar will go further. Mm-hmm. Down in you know in, in various countries that are the economy is not doing as well. Do Labor, not mess Philippines. with the U.S. Virgin Islands, though. Holy cow, that's pricey. Mm. Yeah, it varies, but you know I, I think there's a I'm an expert now. Mexico. Yeah, but, uh, because I've been you know obsessively watching these, I now find my I'm I'm a Caribbean real estate expert. Yeah, I studied by HGTV. Well, I was going to say a good portion of, you know, like the, what we had enjoyed making fun of was this kind of seemingly ridiculous level of uh, of real estate that these people could seem to afford. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, whereas you're like, no, actually, we're buying in Central America in a country where everything got wiped out by a hurricane two months ago. OK, right. now I, yeah, you know, now I now I think you could afford that. So. Oh, absolutely. And that's the best part of it is like watching how far the American dollar will go in some of these places um, and all around the Caribbean. And certainly I'm learning all about them. There are 700 islands of the Bahamas. Wow. 700. And most of them are lived on and inhabited. So there are houses on the on certain Bahamian islands, Bahamian, I guess, I don't know, Bahamian, Bahamian islands that are obviously uber expensive, super like out of your price range. And then there are these islands that are teeny tiny. And I've seen people buy a house for under 300,000 on the water. Well, OK, now here's the thing. Is that because there's a hurricane that's going to come along and wipe it away? <laughs> like, like you can save Probably. a lot of the house. You can save Probably. a lot of the house. I don't and then know. All I'm saying is, like, you know. yeah, I mean, I, here's one of the things that Mr. Vice and I have discussed is, like, oft times people who get very, very picky, what will happen is the real estate agent will go, would you like to see a plot of land? <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like you could just build what you want would be easier than trying to find it for you. And I find that that's actually a really good direction to go for a lot of these very weird people. But two, that it's brilliant because you then also get to control how it's built. Yeah. So if you are going to put it waterfront, then you have control over the structure and, you know, you can have it up to American codes, not, you know, whatever little tiny island that you're living on codes. Yeah, I was going to say there's a um, recognition that a lot of these uh, sorry, the, the, I find the ones on the moving to Central America are slightly more relatable than the oddball couples. And I also have noticed that like, we were watching down with my uh, 
and I met with my parents about a month ago. A lot of the House Hunters Internationals are now checking in on the couples that they did featured in earlier seasons. Mm-hmm. And I, my sneaking suspicion, Mickey, is they took my idea, which is that I wanted them to go with a real estate agent and a marriage counselor. <laughs> say, yes, you love this lovely three-bedroom, two-bathroom high-rise in you know uh, Sarajevo or something like that. But I'm not so sure you guys are going to still want to be in the same place with each other six months from now. Because of how often it almost always is, you know, she wants, uh, you know, a, a lavish garden. He wants the top floor of a skyscraper, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, they're not. Oh, here. every time. Yes. And and I do believe that obviously, you know, we know that a lot of these are pre-filmed and they're set up and they're asked these people to, you know, I guess kind of play the character of this is what you like or this is what you like. Yeah. And, you know, there's they they tend to oversell either their disgust or their love of both. Um, depending on the characters and the people that are on, sometimes I enjoy them. Sometimes I'm like, I have no time for them and wish them nothing. Mm. I'm like, they're not going to pick the right place. I can already tell they're not going to pick the right house. And once you get, you know, and then you watch, like, see, I told you, I knew they were not going to pick the right house. They get hung up on the wrong things. Because, of course, you have a different opinion of what's important to you Mm. (laughs) as a viewer. The other thing it's kind of interesting. The show is as successful as it is, in part because so much of whether you enjoy the show depends on the couple that you're watching. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like there's a regular host. It's not like there's a, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, recurring factor. It's not like the Property Brothers. Right. Where, oh, thank you know, God. I hate you know, them. On House Hunters and House Hunters International, the clients really are the stars, and I, I wonder how many how they go through it to figure out that they've got just the right kind of personalities to you know for who's shopping and stuff like that to carry oh. it through i don't know but again because we, we want to hate because we hate them and we I, well them. that's there's a lot of hate watching that takes place as well and again for me watching these particular episodes of caribbean mexican they've got mediterranean um there's again beach bargain hunters beachfront hunters i will watch them all because mm-hmm. they all end up showing me places because they always show like some little travelogue about the place they'll show them going scuba diving or going on a boat or going to you know a, a nature preserve or a cenote or something and i find myself like it's like a little fake mini vacation in my brain mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's ultimately what a lot of what television is, you know, kind of you, you want to do. You take me away from whatever is worrying me, particularly off screen these days. And give me yeah, something. Although like I do it. still find myself arguing with the people and and judging <laughs> them for their decisions, even though they're the ones that are. Oh, by the way, I'm judging them for their decision making, even though they're the ones that are now at the point in life where they're able to buy this property. <laughs> well, you know, Mickey, probably this could be. Uh, a good if television feels like it's losing out to the internet and losing out to social media this is a sales pitch you can be as judgmental as you want to the people on tv you can <laughs> yell out at them anything you like they can't hear you so you won't be in trouble it's not like typing on a keyboard no right? one's going to cancel know, you for yelling yeah. at the people in your living room there you go because I'm, I'm it's just, like your I'm last free space like, in america there you go Uh, I was going to say, I I got us way off track on that, and I apologize, because we did want to talk a little bit more about Netflix. I've been doing a ton of watching of Netflix, and I don't know about you guys, but I I am finding myself more and more, um, it's, I guess, 
irritated and frustrated is a good word of my lack of choices. Like the more streaming services there are, the less there is on the streaming services that I currently have. Do, do you feel that way? Like, do you feel like you're always needing to buy another one? We even talked about CVS earlier. <clears throat> yeah. Here's the, here's the thing. So we, as bad as this, this is, you know, in the scale of the grand things of this pandemic, this is a small, small problem. But ha that having been said, look, it put most television and movie production on hold. Obviously, everything that was supposed to come out this summer has been kicked back to, you know, October and November and probably isn't going to come out until there's more of a people don't know if it's going to come out till you know, 2021 or sometime in there. At some point, the lack of, you know, the, the there's like a production schedule, you know, there's like a, like a, a assembly line of shows coming along and being filmed and being edited and they do the special effects work or whatever. And it comes along and that stopped. But so see, I'm some not even worried about that so much as just the overall selection being so divided. Because once Disney Plus came out, it sucked yeah. all the life out of everything. And then you've got Peacock and you've got the Warner Brothers station coming out with the HBO station. Uh, I think it's HBO Plus now or HBO Max. I think it was now it's HBO Plus. But all of these different streaming stations and um, it's very difficult because if you want to watch – any of them, they each cost money. None of, and then yeah. they get more and more expensive. So suddenly, the people that were cutting the cable to get away from spending, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month on entertainment, are back right up to the same numbers with all of the different streaming services. And I feel like Netflix has fallen off in a lot of ways. Um, I do like The Umbrella on Academy, um, and the second season just came out. I haven't had a chance to watch all of that yet. Um, however, they did just drop a movie, Jim, that I absolutely loved and it shocked me a little bit mm -hmm. and um it's starring jamie fox and it is an action thriller and it is called the power i'm sorry it's called project power and i had to think about this because i keep saying it backwards <laughs> i keep saying power project and i think it's project power is what the actual name of it is however it is definitely a mix of things that I like and that you like in that it is a somehow a murder mystery style kind of cop thriller mm -hmm. mixed in with a futuristic sci-fi superhero twist. Okay, so this has come up on my feed. I am intrigued by it. I am noticing Mickey. So have you watched it or you have not watched it? Oh, I have. Yeah, okay. I watched and you, it. And you give it a, you give it Four stars, five stars. You're happy. I give it. No, I give it four stars only because everything needs editing, in my opinion, and this is not an exception to that. Is it subject to what I feel like we've seen in a lot of Netflix series, in which there's probably a good five or six episodes worth, and they make it into a ten episode series? That this that is a movie. Was, okay, it's a movie, but it was. It feels like it was stretched out to fill. Yeah, no, that is not the case with this. In fact, okay. it is very fast moving. Um, it's very well acted. Uh, as I mentioned, um, Jamie Foxx is the star. However, it, do you have the article pulled up there in front of you? I do not, but I could get it. But I, I've seen the... Now, the reason that I ask is because the, um, the young woman who plays the, the young girl in this case... You'd like the name of the yes the 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 girl who project actually, power cast. You'd like me to Google as you're speaking. Yes, got it. Yes, now, yeah. that, that is exactly. 
exactly what I would If like everyone's ever wondered, do Jim and Mickey send notes to each other during the show? <laughs> the answer is no. No, we do not. No, right. this is so usually you Dominique Fishback playing Robin or Amy yes. Landecker. Okay. Okay. Dominique Fishback. She is spectacular in this. And the boy from Third Rock from the Sun, what's his name? <laughs> Jordan Govis Lewis. No. Jo- the white Joseph kid. Gordon Levitt. Yes, him. Um, Joseph Gordon Levitt. He is spectacular in this as well. Okay. Um, and I was I was thrilled with their acting. I was thrilled with their characters. I was thrilled with the way they interacted, the way the story was told. I hope that they don't do a sequel, but because it, it was really good from start to finish. Um, I do feel like, though, you need to start paying attention early in this movie. It is one of those movies where things move quickly, and mm-hmm. it can get confusing, but you just got to, like, roll with it because it's an, a true action movie. Okay. A lot of stuff going on. I liked it. So, as I say, it looks like it had, from the, the promo I've seen, it makes it sound like it has to do with superheroics and amazing powers. Is that, uh, am I on the well, right track? Well, basically, there is a pill that's on the street. It's being mm-hmm. sold. And you crack it and take it. And what happens is different in every person because it enter, it basically creates inside of you. It brings out, activates, is the word I'm looking for. It activates your inner power. Mm-hmm. And everyone's power is different. So someone might have a really great power being super strong or someone might just blow up and explode into fire because these powers are all derived from animal DNA is what we find out a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But so each of these powers is different and it just activates in each person differently. Okay. So as, I'm, as I looked at that, I was intrigued and I was recognizing that if you're a fan of the concept of superheroes, Warner Brothers, uh, Disney now th- and have a big advantages up until very recently, 20th Century Fox had an advantage, which is that for most people, when you think of superheroes, you think of either Marvel Comics or DC Comics. DC is well known for having Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. Uh, Marvel Comics well known for having Spider-Man and the Hulk and Iron Man and X-Men and all that stuff. And... The lots of other comic book companies exist, and lots of other comic book companies have tried to make their own, uh, you know, superheroic characters. But by and large, they've not caught fire the way the big two have. Um, probably the next closest that could argue to being a, a contender was Image Comics, which formed in the early '90s from a whole bunch of top-tier artists that generally really knew how to draw and didn't know how to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is another whole other rant that Jim has a, you know, like three hours with the material stored up on. <laughs> but the short answer is, is that, you know, like there's a reason comic, you know, comic fans are generally Marvel fans or, or DC fans. And for every other studio that has wanted to get in on this, it's been like, well, do you pick over what's left? I think somebody's, I think HBO was trying to thinking about developing a series of films and TV shows mm-hmm. about the, uh, image comics characters, which by the way, most of the image car- comics characters were, fairly transparent knockoffs of the concepts you could well and i was going to say at some point don't we get into the law of diminishing returns yeah exactly and that like you know it's very tough to do a character who becomes really big and strong who's going to be more bigger you know like sooner or later you're going to do the same kind of stuff that the incredible hulk did right um you know you're you try to do the roman gods but that's going to sound kind of like the gods of Olympus or the gods of the, the, uh, the Norse gods in Thor comics. Like mm-hmm. there's only some, a lot of these areas, it's really tough to come up with something that doesn't feel 
derivative in one way or another. And you can sometimes they're you know, it can, turns out okay. But by and large, there's a reason DC and Marvel have been you know king and queen of the of the uh-huh. industry for the past probably seventy years or so. Well, here we are, and so now they're kind of in a uh, you know, like maybe at some point someone's going to come up with some idea for superheroes, like superhero heroics and a pill. Right. Um, like, and maybe this will this will blow up big. It's been really well, and that's the thing with this one is that it could make you a superhero, it could make you a supervillain, or it could just kill you. Mm. Yeah, that adds a that that's a unique twist to that, right? And the mm-hmm. idea of this, almost every story of superheroes has some element of this is who you were meant to be, right? You know, mm-hmm. this is something that's been within you that you've always wanted to let out and live up to your full potential. Yet, yes, um, and in this case, it's not like and they. It, People take it like a drug. It's only good for five minutes. Mm. And so your five minutes, you've got it, then it's over. And so you can also, there are people that take, you know, more than one that take too much that, you know, there are other OD situations that take place that also are triggered by this. So again, it's not like, in fact, it's very heavily and from the start clear that this is not a good thing. Mm. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's a really interesting, again, it caught me by surprise. It was not a movie that I thought I would be, like, all hot on, but I was bored just like everyone else. And it was new, and so I watched it, and I was really pleasantly surprised. Good. All right. I will add that there. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else on, oh, um, Mickey, have you seen Free Solo? No. <laughs> the rock climbing movie? Okay. Um, yes. This so is the old... movie where they don't use all their gear, right? Correct. Free solo means to climb really, really high cliffs with absolutely no safety equipment whatsoever. No repelling gear, no ropes, no, just just gloves. And uh, so my sons have been in rock climbing camp this summer. They have enjoyed the hell out of it. And mm-hmm. they're really into it. So they're like, hey, let's watch this. And I've kind of been intrigued by it. Um, Because it's about a young man who is a very intriguing personality, very, you know, um, simultaneously inspiring. And you get the feeling there's something wrong with this guy. And this Uh, is a documentary, correct? Yes, this is this won the Academy Award for documentary, I want to say, two years ago. And he's climbing El Capitan in Yosemite. And you've, you know, if. If, if it's, even if you're not uh, having a picture in your mind form, you've seen it before. It's this giant mountain with a sheer white granite cliff. Um, mm-hmm. And he's handling, he's doing this all on handholds, and you know that mm-hmm. are a centimeter. I'm know, already half an uncomfortable. Inch. Oh, and this is like I was breaking into a full-fledged sweat on our couch, <laughs> and it wasn't that the air conditioning was broken, right? This was. Uh, you will get vertigo watching this. And, and he's, now, it, it, I have to ask, did hmm? someone climb with him to film it, or does he have like a GoPro yeah, so, on his head, or yeah. what? He had already established himself as one of the great free solo climbers in the world. Uh, oh, by the way, if you, become, if you have the title of the world's greatest free solo climber, you tend to not have it for a very long time, because these guys die. These I was going to say, because you die, right? Right, like, yeah. Because that's they the have dumbest shit I've ever heard. Continue. Yeah. So there's this guy who, who he's, he's, his intention is to climb El Capitan. And it is, you know, no one's ever done it as a free solo climb before. And he's basically, you know, concluded, he's in his early, tw- early to mid-20s, um, this is what I need to do with my life. And I, I don't want to, you know, it might sound critical to say he's on the spectrum or something, but he just seems like a singularly obsessed individual okay. who 
has people who care about him, like his mother and his girlfriend and his friends who love him and kind of want, you know, like want to see him achieve his dream, but are terrified that he will die pursuing his dream. And it's one of those rare documentaries where they turn the camera on themselves and the documentary crew who are all experienced climbers and who are also using ropes and doing, uh-huh. you know, using the safety equipment who are saying, we are struggling about whether we should make this documentary because if he does this and he feels because the camera crew is there to take chances that he would otherwise would not, he will die and it will be our fault. Um, and a couple times he, he contemplates it and then he Interesting. just doesn't feel right. So he kind of backs down and stuff. It is, um, and, you know, they, 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 by the way, they, they show you all the gear that everybody else uses. They're all experienced climbers and all that stuff, but still climbing up the side of a mountain. Uh, can, uh, can we oh, just discuss it. the fact that why do people feel, because as I described it is what I see free climbing as, by the way, climbing without all of your equipment. Yeah. Um, I, I see, you know, I have a lot of friends who climb, uh, Mr. Bias used to do quite a bit of it and rappelling as well. The, it's great to get out there and do it and enjoy it, but to do it safely is what matters. And this is just a bad idea. I don't care what anybody says. This is a terrible idea. Yeah. I, I mean, my guess is that people are free to go do it, by the way. You know, like yeah, it's, it's I'm all about Darwinism, survival of the fittest and whatever. But it's just there's there's no good end to this, right? Because you fall once, there's no mistake, there's no like catching yourself because that's the point. Of, well, the like, sense is that almost all of these guys fall at some point. The question is, do you merely break a bone or sprain an ankle or something like that, or do you break, you know, your head and your skull and die? <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, in the back of your mind, you're saying, well, they made the film about him. He he couldn't possibly have died, right? Right? This isn't. This wouldn't have won the Academy of War if he died. Um, and it's, it, it is gripping to the very end. It is, You're not helping. Yeah, no. It, it, you know, well, here's the thing. Like, you know, having you know, two sons who love climbing things and, you know, fearing this film is going to put some ideas in their head. So we had a lot of talk about, like, acceptable risks and, you know, pursuing a goal and what parts of this guy were admirable and what parts of <laughs> You this are such a good dad. Like, you turn everything <laughs> into a teachable moment. I love that about you. You see, Timmy. And, <laughs> yes, I, I, I listen to me. I need to explain. The beef's been up to some problems, and <laughs> but yeah, so that, that was going on in our house during uh, month eight hundred and ninety-four of the quarantine. <laughs> I, I was just saying the other day that it's really, really hot for March. <laughs> yes, and a Wednesday too, but that's. Uh... <laughs> I don't think anybody has any idea what day it is um and that's fine because at this point who cares it doesn't matter um i am glad that we have had the opportunity to kind of get back together and chat um have you been doing any reading this summer yes uh brad thor's latest and i'll have a review for the next one um i'm i'm almost at the end and i feel like I, I should you know uh finish it before i give the full assessment brad thor has not lost a step that much is very clear Oh, fantastic. I find myself reading a lot of trashy beach reads, although I did recently just get this, actually. Um, Girl, Wash Your Face. And this is by Rachel Hollis. <laughs> Apparently, it was a number one New York Best Time seller. It is nonfiction, and it's going to help me improve my life. I was going to um, say, Nikki, I know we've all been living at, you know, at home and staying at home for a long time, but did, did you need the literal title as advice? or <laughs> No, but here, the blurb, allow me. 
Yeah. Do you ever suspect that everyone else has life figured out and you don't have a clue? If so, Rachel Hollis has something to tell you. That's a lie. Hmm. That sounds, and, that sounds yes. very good because I, I'm, there was a phenomenon. I was, we were chatting with friends and it popped into my head and almost everybody had some version of this sense. Do you ever feel like there was a day at school where they explained to people everything you need to function as an adult <laughs> and every secret of life was given in that that assembly they brought everyone into the auditorium and some special presentation told them all the little things about life that you feel like you're just stumbling your way through and you were out sick that day and you missed it and everybody else has walked around with some sort of really important information about how to function in life that you <laughs> just, just make it up as you go along because you missed something <laughs> And I was chatting with a group of friends. All of them had that feel. And so I don't know what day that that, or that that assembly was, but it was really important. And it feels like all of us happened to be sick that day. I feel like I missed it. Um, I definitely missed that day without a doubt. And, um, and hopefully this will help me get that day back. I thought it was interesting because each of the chapters are titled The Lie. And one of the lies, chapter one, is the lie is something else will make me happy. Mm. And it's like, right? I mean, like, how many of us at this point or at any point you have that thought process? And so, again, I found it very intriguing. She's very kind of a funny approach to things. Um, and I think I think you nailed it. Like, we all have a, a certain amount of imposter syndrome. And now, of course, I, the people that are baking the bread and you know, painting and have herb gardens and things of that nature. That's fantastic. It's just that I've been really busy and working. Yeah. I had a, a just emailed somebody the other day where that sense that like, I don't think there's anybody out there who's having a fabulous quarantine. <laughs> and if you are, I don't know if I want to hear about it. Right. You know, if, Kelly you know, Osborne lost like 75 pounds. Really? Damn yeah. it. I mean, good for her. I, mean, I, I know. know. Right. Like Bitch. most people, but what I was trying to tell this person who had been feeling down and I, and I wrote in something that whenever I talk with all of our friends, we're all in the same boat. Everybody's got the same situation of, uh, uh we think are afraid our kids are watching too much time on screens. We're, uh, we're eating too much. We're not getting enough exercise. We're all feeling kind of down. We're annoyed. We don't, our, either our parents are, you know, ludicrously, uh, overprotective or, or not being nearly careful enough. And we're, we're all just trying to get through it. And so if you're in this situation, there's nothing wrong with you. You're in the exact same situation as everybody else. We Nobody... are all in that boat together. Yeah. So that was my, my helpful hint. It's like, no, there, you know, yeah, it's, it stinks, but it stinks for everybody. And you're not doing anything any worse than anybody else. No, I think that that's accurate. I think if people feel like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me for being like, bored or depressed or whatever there's definitely not anything wrong with you and there's certainly a lot of places for you to reach out and help and so um definitely do that and thanks for spending this time with us um we know that we have not been very reliable lately about getting them up every week um but we're you know we're always making an effort and certainly as more things open up and we get kind of in settled into our new schedules right um I guess that's how that, this works, Jim, as we get into our schedules and we get settled in and uh, we'll try to get more of these out to you. However, we really do appreciate it. And one way that you can make sure to never miss an episode is to go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening to whatever podcaster or 
podcatcher that you use, iTunes, SoundCloud, and again, any of the others. Um, all you have to do is hit subscribe, and then anytime that we put one out, you'll be sure to get it first. And uh, we do want to thank you again and look forward to hearing from you on social media. I am on Twitter at Bias Girl. He is at Jim Garrity. And you have been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show. <laughs>